Hi, Raf. We're talking about accessibility on the podcast today. Are you excited? Hello? Raf? Uh, I think you might be on mute, mate. Raf? Raf, are you there? Uh, yeah. Sorry, Matt. I, I just thought I'd uh, use improv dance to communicate today. <sighs> that doesn't seem very accessible for a podcast <laughs> audience. Click next to continue. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast. Very exciting topic that we're touching on today. But first, Matt, how are you going? I'm good. I am excited about talking uh, about accessibility. Uh, this topic, I think, for, for both of us um, is something that, you know, is very, very important. Uh, for me, personally, I kind of spent a fair bit of time uh, researching this topic and being across it because I'm relatively passionate about this space. Um, for those of you who are in our audience and are listening to this podcast out of a curiosity or you haven't heard about this uh, too much, accessibility is essentially designing information in a way that allows anyone to be able to access it, regardless of uh, impairments and, and ensuring that everyone is able to benefit from that information in the same way, um, I guess, to the same degree. As far as you know, formal definitions around accessibility, there's a few floating around. I quite like the wiki one. Um, it is a little bit of a tongue twister, but it has some really nice messages in it. Um, essentially, it says, accessibility can be viewed as the ability to access and benefit from some system or entity. The concept focuses on enabling access for people with disabilities or special needs, or enabling access through the use of assistive technologies. However, research and development and, accessible and accessibility brings benefits to everyone. I like a couple of things in there. I like the uh, bit at the end about bringing benefits to everyone. What What do you think that means, mm -hmm. Raf? I, I think that means uh, what what it says to to be a little bit cheeky, but essentially, <laughs> um, for me, accessibility is just another aspect of UX design. It's another aspect of instructional design. It's another aspect of just good communication skills. And what you find when you start to play in this, I guess, world of accessible design is what you need to do to address that accessible space actually benefits through because it allows you to strengthen your ideas, allows you to improve your concepts, improve your designs, and also be more critical of what is critical information and what is potentially something that has to be reworded or taken out. So I think mm. that's what they mean around uh, benefiting everyone. Would you, would you agree, Matt? No, I, I, think, I think what you touched on about asking questions is really important because in our field, you know, sometimes we can have the blinkers on and get a bit too focused on how pretty something looks or, you know, getting a lot of information from a subject matter expert and having accessibility as another perspective kind of over what you're doing, it mm, forces yes. you to ask some really critical questions around, you know, do I really need to put this in here? This is going to cause this. Is this really relevant? How is someone in this situation going to see it? And it makes you also be a lot more centered on the audience, which is always a good thing yes. as well. The other thing in that definition was um, was the phrase assisted technology. Uh, mm -hmm. What does that mean, Raf? Okay, so uh, basically assistive technologies fill in the gap between the native state of information and what a person with an impairment means. Um, for a more practical explanation of that, if someone is blind, let's let's use a very simple um, impairment, completely blind. Um, obviously, 
they cannot access information visually. So, um, you know, at the moment I have a Word document open in front of me and it's all written out beautifully, but obviously someone who is blind can access that. And there's only so much that Word itself can do to give me that information. But what Word can do is be compatible with a screen reader. As the name suggests, a screen reader reads out what's on screen. And that's the assistive technology that bridges the gap between the information, in this case in Word, but it can be in another application, it can be on the internet, it can be on your intranet. The screen reader takes that information and reads it out to the end user, as well as providing them a secondary layer of interaction. So shortcuts um, and hotkeys that allow them to jump around through that content um, in consideration of their visual impairment. Yeah, and when you're saying information, you're not just saying the words on the screen, but you're also referring to the images that are there, the navigation elements, um, and, and other other features of the software or whatever you're using as well. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So I guess one of the things is when you don't have an impairment, you don't appreciate how much information you process through a particular sense. Um, so you know, whilst visually I can see words. The fact something's laid out in a table, the fact something's a button, the fact something's a graphic, all these things are visual information that I can process. Mm. The screen reader, coupled with appropriate design to cater for it being able to work with your information, looks at, okay, well, here's some text. So it reads out the text and here's an image. And what information is contained in this image? And then you add alt text to that image and the screen reader is able to say, hey, here's a picture of a puppy dog. Or here is a picture of the workflow for using tool X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and other examples of assistive technology. So it'd be things like um, wheelchair lifts and wheelchair ramps yep. to, to get into buildings. Um, mm -hmm. But then uh, I know an example that you've used quite a lot that kind of opens up people's eyes is uh, is is reading glasses. That That's a piece yeah. of assistive technology that a lot of members of the population actually use. Exactly. And I think, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's it's very mainstream these days. Like there was a point in time where it didn't exist as an assistive technology. Um, and now it's, you know, been widely adopted and everyone uses it and everyone's just, you know, familiar with using it. But it is an assistive technology. Um, and and it's actually, I did a conference talk on this topic and that was one of the opening questions, you know, looking to a room and kind of going, hey, who here thinks that they're an accessible user? And you get, you know, the audience, a few of them kind of take a very philosophical um, interpretation of that question and they pop their hand up and you ask them answers and they're like, oh, you know, when I'm learning something, I start with an impairment and I progress out of that impairment. Um, well, actually, I just want to call out that there's 10 people in here that have glasses and you're all actually accessible users because without those glasses, you wouldn't be able to access the information that is on the, you know, slides behind me. So um, yeah. it is one of those things where has become mainstream and we've kind of detached from it actually hey this is an assistive technology for people yep. with a minor or moderate vision impairment yeah I'm, I'm one of those people i wear reading glasses and if i'm sitting at the back of a conference and uh forgot my glasses uh and someone's got quite small uh small text on screen it's it's very hard for me to uh to actually read that as well so i definitely mm -hmm. feel that pain and um i think that's that's the thing that um I would love people to kind of get from this episode is that everybody does have some accessibility requirements that uh, e even if it's just temporary at some point. 
Um, yep. And you have been using the word impairment, not disability. Uh, why yep. is that, Rav? So I think for me, um, impairment probably I feel is more inclusive language. So I guess that's a, it's a personal preference. But also an impairment, I guess, is something that a lot more people can connect with as having at some point in their life, whereas disabilities, generally people see them as, as a fixed, like a temporary, uh, not a temporary, a permanent thing. So someone who is blind has a disability or someone who is in a wheelchair has a disability because it's permanent and 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 what I want to do by using the word impairment instead is break away from that perspective it's blindness it's you know people who can't hear and actually get people to think about you know impairments in terms of them being able to have them um, because through our lives we will all at some point experience some sort of impairment um, mm. be it that you know Maybe as you get older, you might get cataracts in your eyes and that's a temporary impairment because you can go and get surgery and have that fixed. Um, or you may experience um, situational impairments. This is probably the one that people experience day to day and they're just not aware of it. Um, mm -hmm. If I am out in uh, outside and I'm looking at my phone and I've got glare on the screen, I'm experiencing a situational vision impairment. Because depending how uh, the information on the phone has been designed and the phone screen itself, I may not be able to see what's happening on, on the actual screen. And, and that's due to my environment. And, you know, it's not it, as soon as I leave that environment, it goes away and I come back to the environment, it's there. So the purpose of saying impairment is breaking it away from a us and them mentality and focusing on, hey, anyone can have an impairment at any point in their life. Yeah, I think that's really really crucial and back to that you know wikipedia definition where it benefits everyone we are yes. going to experience some of these some of these impairments and you're talking about temporary and, and situational impairments what are some other examples that could kind of fit those categories okay um so i guess before we probably jump into that side i think it's probably important to kind of look at it one level higher up of, of sort of what are the core categories of impairments that we consider um, so we look at uh, things that are uh, physical impairments um, and in terms of a permanent physical impairment, that could be being in a wheelchair, that could be perhaps not having a limb um, or, or something of that nature, like relatively significant um, uh, situations. And then as you look at, I guess, the next levels um, from there. So if you look at temporary physical impairments, um, a lot of us at some point in our lives are going to break a bone somewhere important. Um, I, in the last 12 months, have been lucky enough to be in a moon boot twice. Um, so I have suffered a temporary uh, physical impairment where I was in a moon boot and getting around was quite difficult. Um, public transport, complete no-no. Um, so there's an example of a temporary impairment that is something that a lot of people are going to experience. Um, even to the point of, um, you know, uh, if you've kind of jarred an elbow or maybe if you've um, got carpal tunnel syndrome, all these things are, are impairments that are temporary, but an impairment nonetheless. And then you go down to a situational level. And again, it kind of, you know, depends what you're talking about. Um, if you're working in a uh, confined space, you've got a physical uh, impairment there in terms of being able to move around due to the environment. But even things that you wouldn't probably initially think about. Um, I, I was thinking about an example the other day um, where they had 
holding a newborn as a situational impairment. It's quite interesting because knowing that about your audience, that, hey, they're going to have one arm out of action, actually influences how you would design products and information for that person. Um, You know, hypothetical scenario, um, I've created an app that's going to uh, give a new parent information on the best ways of soothing a crying baby, perhaps. Um, And because I'm designing this information for this situation, um, I can probably hazard a guess that there is going to be a large portion of my audience that are going to be accessing this app, um, one, probably very late at night um, with bags under their eyes, but two, whilst holding a newborn. So if I design that application that it needs two hands to interact with it, that's not considering the very, very possible situational impairment um, someone in my audience is going to be experiencing. Mm. And, and we were talking about a great video we saw with someone product testing um, kitchenware and utensils as well. And one of the things that he would do is wet his hands or put oil over the utensil, which is a very common use case for uh, those type of implements. And he was testing to see if you could still operate them with slippery hands too. Um, yep. So really thinking about what's the context that people are going to be using your product or going through this event or initiative uh, is really, really important. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, so I guess the other areas, so obviously, um, you know, talking about examples, so you've got vision impairments. Um, and I guess mm-hmm. vision impairment is one that's a, a pretty big trap because people immediately go towards someone who's blind. Um, and at that extreme end of the scale, it's actually, I'll say, relatively easy to cater for someone who is completely blind because you know they will be using assistive technologies and you know the parameters of those assistive technologies. So from a, I guess, information design perspective, it impacts you. From a technology perspective, it impacts you. But from a, I guess, visual design, there's not much you have to do to cater for for someone who is completely blind. However, within that, I guess, cohort of people who have vision impairments, you have people who are colorblind, you have people who have affected what's tunnel vision, you have people who may have really low vision, so they're able to make things out, but, you know, it's fuzzy for them. And an assortment of other conditions um, that mean that they are processing information visually, just not quite to the extent as someone who doesn't have any visual impairment. And I guess the, the really common one is color blindness, which is something that quite a lot of people actually have, um, even to the point a lot of people have it and they don't realize they have it. Um, and they, you know, do one of those silly quiz things on Facebook and, you know, it's going, hey, what numbers in all these dots? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no number there. So they can't differentiate between different colors. And, 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 it's, um, and, it's, and it's not just the same colors for everyone with um, exactly sort of color blindness as well there's, there's lots of different variations of it and different levels of severity uh, absolutely right and you know that, that that's a whole subtopic there's you know three really common ones and then there's an assortment of in-betweens um you know through you know for some people to struggle differentiate between two colors all the way through the extreme end of the scale where people basically see in i guess the equivalent of black and white um, but what that is, is is again it's a temporary impairment but it does impact your visual design because someone is processing visual information, but they won't be able to process information if, for example, you have a a button and when you interact with that button or you hover on that button, it changes from, say, a red to a green. Um, they may not be able to perceive that change at all. 
Um, and, and that's kind of where you start having to think about, okay, well, how does visual design actually cater for people with vision impairments? Um, and, you know, again, lastly, in the visual kind of space, you've got temporary impairments, really interesting one that people probably won't really consider. Um, if your car has a GPS in it, at nighttime, it flicks colours. Um, and that's in an effort to mitigate a vision impairment, because if it was stayed on the daytime settings, you would have a very bright light in your face, uh, which would cause quite a lot of distraction and a fairly significant vision impairment from you being able to concentrate on the road. So there's a there's something that people you know use day to day, um, but you'd never think about that under I guess the umbrella of you know accessible design. You just think that well, of course that's just common sense. So. Uh, that's a few examples of, I guess, the, the really commonly perceived um, impairment types there are and the levels of degree you've got there. Um, outside of that, you still have to consider things like hearing impairments. Um, and again, against all those three levels, so permanent impairment, temporary, situational. Um, and then you have to also consider processing impairments. So, um, you know, physical, visual, and hearing are all sensory inputs. Um, and then once the, the, the information gets through those inputs, you have to consider if someone has a processing impairment. Um, commonly, these are called you know, learning impairments or something along those lines. But this ranges from you know, ADHD, um, dyslexia, autism, and, and all those sort of things. Again, need to consider these the, the cohort that may have these impairments. And at the same time, processing can go down a few levels. So um, a temporary processing impairment could be not understanding jargon terms in a new industry. Or a situational one could be, hey, I've just had lunch and I'm going into a workshop. I'm more focused on having a nap um, than absorbing whatever the facilitator is talking about. Or, or being hungover. Well, exactly right. You know, depending how, uh, how jovial you were at said lunch. Um, you, you, you may have had a few too many or even the night before, again, you know, situational one, I guess that one, I don't know if it's situational or temporary, but it's, it's in that space of kind of, you know, consider this. If, if you've just had half the team down for Christmas celebrations for the company, the next morning is probably not a good idea to have a really full on sort of webinar or conference or something like that scheduled. And, and you also need to consider, so all these things are kind of information coming in and then being processed, but then you're thinking about that information going back out. So someone might have a verbal impairment, um, both in terms of being unable to speak for um, maybe a physical reason or, or something along those lines. But then again, you know, temporary um, could be that, you know, I've, um, I've, I've come in and I have a, uh, a, a really hoarse voice because I went to a Metallica concert the previous night. And if I'm a facilitator, that's a pretty significant impairment for me. Um, and the same, maybe someone has an accent. So you do need to consider the information coming in, it's processing, and then what that person is expected to do with that information coming back out as well. Hmm. What about things like social anxiety, like being um, put on the spot in a, a physical classroom um, and most people have gone through this when they're at school, when they have to get up and do an oral assignment or ask the question. Yep. Um, what about those situations where, you know, you can kind of freeze up a bit and maybe you know, you know, the answer, you've got some really valuable input into something from your experience, but uh, it's just quite confronting with everyone's eyes on you as well. 
Absolutely right. And, you know, that, that sort of thing plays um, into, you know, considerate of it in your teaching methods. Um, and as a facilitator, it's probably really, really important to consider the different types of personalities and uh, you've got in the room um, because you don't want people who are just, you know, more introverted to not get the benefit of being as vocal and as involved in a session as someone who is really outspoken and they're going to get, I guess, the benefit because they're constantly having conversations, sharing opinions, potentially challenging. Um, you know, that's something really hard. If someone's an introvert, their ability to challenge something that's been said is probably going to be diminished a fair bit. And that then being out of challenge will potentially give them more clarity around that particular topic. So there's a missed opportunity uh, in terms think- of learning. I think these are all um, things in in varying degrees that a really good facilitator, a really good instructional designer, learning experience designer, um, anyone involved in some sort of training or or creating any sort of learning material um, do kind of consider these things. But but what I've found, and and personally when studying out in the industry as well, is that you do consider these things, but you only consider the things that you have personal experience with, either in your yes. personal life, um, or you know, I've I've got a background in face-to-face training, and the more training sessions you do, the more you encounter people that you know might not want to be um, kind of called out in in front of everyone, or you know, talking in front of everyone, or someone with some sort of um, you know physical or you know a visual impairment. Um, so you encounter them, and then you start to kind of adjust your style and and the way you present and the way you interact with everyone as well. But I think what's really important about like discussions like this is, is broadening it out so people start considering uh, things they haven't encountered yet too because one day they will. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think, you know, that that's, that's the whole purpose of being able to talk about a topic like this and starting to unpack it is that people don't kind of, you know, get to being able to be, you know, really well in tune with accessibility through just the experiences they've had. Um, you know, there's a lot you can learn about the community um, out there of people who do have impairments and and you just have to reach out. Um, you know, I think earlier we sort of mentioned that, you know, I've done some focus groups. Um, one of the things I was really interested in is understanding how people who have vision impairments go through learning, what their experiences have been and what their expectations are. Um, and And what came out of that is that whilst very often accessibility is viewed as hey i need to look at the wcag or wcag guidelines depending how you want to pronounce it and start there no one in those workshops pointed to a you know well wcag guideline 2.2.2 says they just said hey this didn't work and here's a reason and it'll be really great if um, right. They just, just care about their experience, how they're how exactly they're right, and, and how, what they're prevented from doing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's really important to empathise with the fact that you're designing for people, um, and I guess this is kind of one of the challenges I have with the CAG guidelines is they they do try to bring that in, but they feel quite rigid and robotic and, and technical, and and they do. And if you follow them, you'll address impairments, but you won't address people's needs. Um, and you need to be designing for impairments in the context of, hey, if someone has this impairment, what does their world look like? Um, you know, I'm being a little bit floaty here, but a practical example of this. Um, let's say I have a piece of information and that information is supported with an image. Um, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm having an interaction, I'm having a conversation with someone and I get information from that person um, via their posture 
and they you know they may look angry or upset or something like that so what what we kind of see and this is kind of the gap in the empathy and understanding is a a good instructional designer a good developer look at this picture and go yep i need to add some alt text to this so alt text being the thing that screen readers read um, and they look at, okay, well, what's the information here that I'm trying to convey? Uh, and I go, well, you know, Sarah's standing in this room and she looks angry. And the alt text becomes, Sarah's standing in a room and she looks angry. And that alt text is 100% geared towards someone who has a vision impairment, a significant one, because you have to have a relatively significant impairment when you make the switch towards assistive technologies. So you're presenting information around how someone looks to someone who potentially may have never seen a person. And you have to go, okay, well, if that person in the real world is having a conversation with someone and it is getting a little bit heated, what information are they getting to position the mood of the other person? And it's going to be tone and language. So it'll be a lot more appropriate to say Sarah sounds angry or something along those lines because it's taking the context of the end user that we're trying to, um, I guess, accommodate here and giving them the information that's relevant to their world rather than sharing the information from, you know, the visual world and going, hey, someone looks like this because the, it's a minor detail, but it just slightly disconnects and it doesn't give the appropriate context. Mm. And, you know, some of these things we've, we've experienced and some of the examples that you, you went through, but then, like you said, there's, there's situations where you can try and imagine and put yourself in that person's shoes, but, uh, you know, you're just imagining it and you, and you don't have yeah. too much um, kind of background to do that. So the best way of, of finding out and understanding better is by talking to people having these experiences. And, you know, you, you mentioned kind of reaching out and you've mm -hmm. done a lot of great work kind of reaching out to different kind of uh, groups of people and kind of running user testing and focus groups and things like that. But when we're designing um, training, you know, we have an audience that we have access to and we can find people in that audience um, that, that might have some different requirements where we can sit down and we can talk through those with them as well. And maybe it's just a case of going out and buying them lunch or, you know, going through some user testing and putting them in front of an e-learning prototype or asking them if they could spend an, an hour while you run through a presentation and get their yep. feedback on it by reaching out and you're know, finding out more for yourself you're going to become much much better as a, as a learning designer in general too yeah absolutely and, and even to that point you know finding out about your audience um these days when you're going to an event so a conference or whatever something like that there's always a question about do you have any dietary requirements why isn't there a question around hey do you have any kind of you know accessible needs or something along those lines just to get a little bit more understanding of the audience and, you know, give one facilitators the opportunity to actually adapt and kind of be mindful of, okay, I've got someone here who, um, you know, is in a wheelchair potentially. Um, we need to make sure that both the infrastructure of the event, which should be in a good space, but then how the room's set up, like how do we put chairs? Where do we put chairs in what spots? Is there a better position for them to sit so it's easier for them to get around? Like, talk to the audience that they're, they're, they're not that scary. And, and in most cases, they'll probably be more than happy to kind of say, oh, yeah, I need this sort of support. And even at the session itself, you know, be, be brave enough to kind of go, hey, is there anyone here who kind of needs me to adapt my style to suit their particular preference? 
I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people just don't go to conferences or events like that because their needs aren't met too. And yep. the layer of the room is a really good example. You know, I've, I've seen people who have been in a wheelchair and absolutely they can, you know, it's in a hotel or convention center. There are ramps, there are wheelchair lifts. They can get in pretty easily. But yep. then the way the event organizers have set up the rooms, they, yep. they, they just don't have enough room to get in between all the chairs. They have to sit right up the back or they have to sit at the door. Yep. And I... You know, if I was in that position, I just wouldn't go. And yeah, absolutely. where that relates to what we're doing is, well, if, if we're designing training that's optional, um, be it digital or in-person, uh, people, people they have the choice not to do it. And if they assume that it's not going to uh, be easy for them to do uh, or it's going to be inaccessible in some way, they're not going to do it as well. So you might not be reaching your entire audience just for some, you know, simple considerations that you could make. Uh, Raf, what do you think... Um, for me, the, the main things I'd like someone to take away from this is just a um, broadening out their, their understanding around what the different requirements would be around accessibility and, and the different impairments um, that are out there as well. And mm -hmm. just thinking about it every single day that you're working on something, thinking yep. about what are um, other experiences that people will have that you know may be different to my personal experience. What are some of the kind of the key takeaways or, or tips that you would put out there for, for everyone? Uh, look, I think, you know, one of the big ones is probably what we just touched on now, like actually speak to people that can provide you that insight. There are organizations out there that they specialize in connecting corporate organizations with end users who do have impairments to get the real stories. So I think that's that's one, you know, actually participate in the community and, and, and talk to people rather than reading. Um, having said that, reading about this stuff is good. The tip I have around here is don't jump straight into the WCAG guidelines um, because what I, they can be very daunting. They're, they're very comprehensive and in a lot of cases, they're quite technical. I think spend a bit more time understanding what accessible design and inclusive design is. And, and my recommendation as a great starting point is look up the Microsoft Inclusive Design Toolkit as it provides a lot more contextual sort of positioning of what it means and why it's important and starts introducing some tips of how to be more considerate of it. Um, and then when you start to get a bit more appreciation, then start looking at, you know, um, the WCAG guidelines for, for a really robust framework. Um, the other thing is, I guess, and this is probably looking for people in more of the digital space. So, um, if you are embarking on your first project and, and you're going, hey, I'm going to you know, create stuff that is going to be accessible, just because the authoring tool says they're compliant doesn't mean the end output is compliant. Um, actually, I'd, I'd probably say that the, the compliance of the tool is only 10%, 90% is how you design it. So be very mindful of that, that just because the authoring tool you're using or the platform says it's accessible, how you design the experience is what is actually going to impact on whether someone with an impairment has a positive learning experience or whether they have a really negative and potentially unable to actually get through the information and that learning experience itself. Mm -hmm. And the last thing, and, and this is kind of something that I champion quite a lot. And, you know, occasionally I talk about common sense accessibility, which is something we can uh, cover another time, but do something rather than nothing. It, it can be very daunting to start, but starting means that you can try and then you can engage people from the community. You can get feedback. You can get better and better and better. Um, 
you have to start doing something and demonstrating at least some effort because if you start from nothing, you can't expect someone from the community to be that open to help you if you haven't demonstrated any effort in trying to do something that that meets accessible needs. So start applying, start learning, share with your community, share with experts on the topic, get feedback, and that will over time allow you to incrementally get better um, and eventually you know everyone benefits from it so just take the time and yeah do something fantastic great advice raf and uh if anyone does have any questions please get in touch with us we love talking about this stuff raf yep. has a lot of knowledge around this a lot of practical knowledge and uh, uh can offer a, a lot of advice as well so thank you once again for listening we look forward to speaking uh to you in the next episode thanks everyone have a lovely evening afternoon or morning Next to continue.